You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today's message is part of our Adult Sunday School series. Adult Sunday School is taught by a variety of different men in our church. Now let's prepare our hearts as our Sunday School teacher brings forth God's truths from His Word today. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Psalm 133. and talk about this morning is remembering unity that brotherhood. Let me just get into the message this morning and work through this, if I can find the book of Psalms. Yeah, good one. You thought I would already had it marked and turned to it, but, you know, I'm not set up like that, I guess. Probably could do it from memory, but I'll make sure we get it. All right, sometime I will get to Psalm 133. There we go. Psalm 133. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments. As the dew of Hermon and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing even life forevermore. And then quickly, let's turn over to Proverbs chapter 6. And we're looking, start in verse 16. These six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. So here in this passage, Psalm 133, we see the symbols, these beautiful symbols of how God expects unity to appear and how he describes it. He describes it as being two things here in Psalm 133. Behold how good and how pleasant. Good and pleasant is how God describes unity. He describes it as being a good and pleasant thing. And I know this passage is not an unfamiliar passage. I know we all have read this passage probably multiple times in our lives, probably heard multiple messages out of it. But God thinks of unity as a good and pleasant thing. And his desire for brethren is that they would not dwell in discord, as mentioned in Proverbs chapter 6, somebody who sows discord being an abomination to God, but said that they would live in harmony, not in disharmony, not in fighting and bickering and self-aggrandizement, and in any way outside of what could be considered unity. So what is unity? Unity is togetherness. We all know that, right? Togetherness is what the definition of unity is. Being together. Not that you necessarily agree on everything, but that you're together. You're in one accord. Let's pray this morning. Dearly Father, Lord, I pray that you would just bless the reading of your word this morning, Lord. I pray that you bless the teaching right now, Lord. Just fill me with your Holy Spirit, Lord, that I can bring forth the word as you've laid on my heart, Lord, and that... It can be your words and not mine, Lord, that we can receive from you that which we need this morning and we receive a blessing. Father, that we can grow closer to you and that we walk in unity with you and with others. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So here, David gives us this picture of how unity appears to God. He describes it first as being like the anointing oil that was placed upon the head of Aaron that ran down upon his beard and then down to the foot of his garment. So, and he also describes it as being like the dew that descends on Mount Hermon. 
Now, in both of these instances, we see that Jesus is describing this, as, or that David is describing this as being something that starts at the top, starts at the head, works down, works its way down. So, in the first instance about the anointing oil, we know that the oil, the anointing oil, is a type of the Holy Spirit. As Pastor preached when he went through his lessons on the Holy Spirit, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. We know that this oil is just like the Holy Spirit. So here, in this representation, we see that the Holy Spirit filling starts at the head. Now, who is our head? We know the Lord Jesus is our head, right? It starts with our head, and then it works down through the rest of everything, the beard, the the garment, all the way to the, the feet is where this oil is working its way down. That is how David is describing unity in this part, so that every entire part of the body is covered with this oil, this fragrance that brings forth this pleasing smell to God. That is how David is describing unity in this passage when he references that anointing oil that was placed on Aaron's head. In the second instance, he references Mount Hermon. Now, if you know anything about the nation of Israel, Mount Hermon is the tallest mountain in the land of Israel. And on that mountain, it actually develops snow occasionally. And so when it has this snow on the mountaintop, that snow, the dew created from that snow, that moisture, comes down the mountain and settles out into the land around that mountain and that actually nourishes and replenishes the land that hasn't seen rain for many, many days. So in that desert place, you have this dew that rolls off the mountain and nourishes the land around it. It's really like heavy clouds that roll, roll off that mountain that start at the top start at the peak of the mountain, and this moisture works its way down, travels to the land and the people around it, giving them nourishment and helping things to grow and all the things we know that moisture is necessary for survival. So in this passage, we find that when we live in unity, we can see the visible evidence that the Holy Spirit is able to do its work. And when we are not living in unity, the opposite is happening. Rather than refreshing, as we would sense that dew coming off Mount Hermon to be refreshing, rather than refreshing, it is regressing. Rather than joyful, it is depressing when we're not in that state of unity. Then the end of the passage, it says, For there the Lord commanded the blessing. There at that state of dwelling in unity, at that state of refreshment from that unity, that is where the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. So if we want to have a life that is glorifying to God, That is a life that is full of blessing. We need to be unified with our brethren. So who is our brethren that we should be unified with? Well, I think we just have four types of brethren that I could think of. We have fraternal brethren. We have paternal or blood brethren. We have spiritual brethren. And then we have national brethren. For the fraternal brethren, those are the people that, you know, are associations or organizations, maybe educational fraternities, Those could be your fellow service members, your fellow work associates, your sports team, your pogo stick club, you know, something like that. Anything like that could be your fraternal brethren. It's something that binds you together in like passions, like desires. You know, not much needs to be said about this type of brethren, but when you have a work or an association that is divided... They don't get much accomplished. But when you see those associations where everybody has this same goal, same mindset, know what they need to accomplish, a lot can get done. Now we move on to the paternal or the blood brethren, the family that we have by birth. We need to have and we should desire to have unity among our family, among our brethren. We should have that closeness among our family members. You know, 
But right now, we see in America and throughout the world that we have a lot of disunified families. Having a lack of unity among the family is destructive, not just to the family itself, but to everyone around that sees the family operating, that sees what's going on. It's destructive. Broken homes are commonplace in America, with over 50% of marriages ending in divorce, or almost 50%. And none of us are exempt from having these family issues, either with our spouses, our kids, or some other relative. That is why it's something that is under such attack of Satan. Satan is attacking our homes with such great effort right now because he knows that when you have a family that is fully set on serving God, unified in that purpose, that you can accomplish great things. And we see that in the families in Scripture that were fully set on serving God. We think of Timothy, how his grandmother and his mother you know, were set on obeying God, and then the apostle Paul came along and was able to teach Timothy to be a pastor. You know, when you have a family, even though the father wasn't in the home, but they were unified in their desire to serve God, they could do great things for God. And that is why Satan is putting such an attack on our paternal, our family, our unity among our family. Next we move into spiritual brethren, the third brethren. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 through 7, it says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son, and of a son, than an heir of God through Christ. So we have been heirs of, been made heirs of God through Christ. We are part of a spiritual family when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. In Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, it tells us how we should operate in that family and the respect that we should have to that calling that we have been given, to that adoption of sons that we have received. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation where you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. And this is an important verse, verse 3 of Ephesians chapter 4. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Endeavoring to keep that unity. Striving to keep that unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You can tell in a church when there is no peace, there's obviously people not striving to be unified with one another. When there is discord in the brethren, we are not striving to be unified with one another. We are not endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. Note that it's the Holy Spirit that brings unity. That means that when we are not receiving the unity that we need in the church or in our family or whatever, it means we are not truly being led of the Holy Spirit and filled with the Holy Spirit as we should. Verse 4, Ephesians chapter 4 says, There is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. So there's one body, the church, there's one spirit, and there's one hope of our calling, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the hope of our calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So you see the importance of unity among our spiritual brethren here as well. And we have heard message after message after message about having things right with our fellow believers. And we know from these passages that it is extremely important for us to be unified as a church body. We need to be unified with those members of church that we attend with, as well as, you know, collectively as a church in the, in the world, as the, the church of, of Christ. 
we should, we can see, and then if we break it down to our churches minutely, we can see that we find a consistent state of discord in the church today. Right now, you know, throughout the world and, and in our local churches, we see a lot of discord and disunity. And why is that? I know our, our church is probably an exception to the rule to some extent, but we still have, I'm sure, discord and disunity in our church in some areas as well. Disunity is disunity because wherever it appears, wherever it appears. And part of this lack of unity may be due to doctrinal disagreements, which if we have doctrinal disagreements, those are reasons for separation. I mean, that's why we don't necessarily fellowship with other churches that we have doctrinal disagreements with. It's hard to be unified with those that we have doctrinal disagreements with. But a lot of times what separates us as individuals of a local church is not doctrinal disagreements, but our own pride. Right? Our own pride is what separates us from other believers and, and keeps us from having that state of unity. One of the things the Apostle Paul addressed to the Corinthian church was that during the Lord's table, they were showing respect to persons. In other words, they were respecting those people that they thought were important and those people that were less important, they were just kind of pushing to the side. You know, they were bringing their own food and having their own glorious time over here while people over here that were less fortunate than them were stuck you know, doing whatever they could to just kind of have a, a small meal to themselves over here in the corner. So the Apostle Paul addresses that. So not only were they having that disunity at the time of the Lord's table, they also had divisions and heresies going on through the church. Sometimes, though, we look at that Corinthian church and say, that was just a Corinthian church, and that's nothing that goes on in our own churches. That's nothing that, I mean, we don't have anything like that taking place. But do we? I mean, how long does it take me and you to recognize that there's somebody new visiting our, our church? How long does it take you to notice someone new or someone that is hurting, someone that needs you to speak to them and to encourage them? How long does it take you to do that? Is it difficult sometimes to have unity among your spiritual family? Is it difficult? Is it difficult to come to church and say, well, I don't really want to sit next to that person. I don't want to talk to that person. You know, you don't necessarily have to like people to be unified with them. Remember, unified is togetherness. We all have one body in Christ. We have one faith. We have one hope. We have one baptism, right? That's what unifies us. And we need to remember those things if we want to have unity in the body of Christ, in the church. And we teach our kids to put Jesus first, others second, yourselves last if you want to have joy. And that's what we teach them. We, you know, we help them with songs to remind them of that. But then do we implement that in our own lives, in our dealing with others, with our church family? Do we put Jesus first, others second, and ourselves last? Or do we instead think we're putting Jesus first because we're condemning others, really to build ourselves up to make ourselves look better? Because that's not where we find true joy or unity. We need to be right with God and right with others in order to have unity among our spiritual brethren as we should. In Romans 12, 3, it says, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. You know, one of the biggest areas where we find disunity in any situation, either in our family or at work or at church, is when we get an opinion of ourselves that is greater than we should. Right? We get an opinion that we are greater than we are. You know, we're more important 
than we are. We need to have a sense of humility in order to be unified with our brothers and sisters in Christ and as well as our other brethren. But lastly, we want to talk about is our national brethren. In Romans 10, 1 through 3, it says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. So that was talking about Israel being ignorant of God's righteousness. But God is addressing them in the national sense. This is what I want these verses to give us, this national sense of how God is addressing nations as a collective. Now to, in Romans 16, 25 through 26, it says, Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began. But now is made manifest, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. See, God put specific importance on nations coming to the obedience of faith and nations walking with him in unity. God desires nations to be unified in their faith and in their desire to obey him. We find that often in the scripture where God is addressing the nation of Israel, but not only does he address the nation of Israel, he addresses the nations around Israel for judgment. He says these nations are going to be judged. This nation's going to be blessed. Like we think of the nation of Nineveh, how he sent Jonah to Nineveh so that the whole nation could be saved. Even though the nation was the most wicked nation on the earth at the time, God still loved them. And he sent Jonah to them. And then we see that the whole nation was saved in a day and God spared his judgment from them. See, God desires nations to be unified in their faith as well. And tomorrow we celebrate Memorial Day in our nation. We celebrate this day where we should have unity. We, we remember those men and women who sacrificed so that our nation could exist. And that we could continue to have the liberty and the prosperity that we enjoy in this country. Which is an awesome blessing of God. And we have many blessings in our country. You know, the poorest American in our country lives better than the kings and queens of old did. We live better than the kings and queens of old. You know, our lives of luxury that we live right now are better than the richest person in the world lived 100 years ago. 100 years ago, the richest person in the world didn't have an air-conditioned automobile to ride in. The richest person in the world didn't have a cell phone where they could find out any ounce of information they wanted to. The richest person in the world 100 years ago couldn't keep track of all their investments all at one time just in their hand. You know, we have more blessings and more, I guess, ways to live at luxury than those people before us had. And that only came because of the blessing of God. But we so quickly forget what it took for us to live as we do, both in the sacrifice, or both in the blessing of God and in the sacrifices that it took to get there, the sacrifice of blood especially. You know, and the, the drones in our media and many of our, you know, so-called educators in our public institutions, even many of the pastors in our churches around America, so easily forget what enabled us to live the lives that we have today. You know, it took unity of purpose to establish this nation. And that unity was based on the faith that there is a God who is in control of all things, and that we are individually, not collectively, but we are, also, we are individually accounted to Him and to Him alone. 
Individually, we are responsible to live out our faith as God has directed us through his Holy Spirit. But we also need to be unified as a nation in that same desire, that same faith. You know, these men knew that the liberty of the individual to serve God as they were led of God was paramount to have a nation that was blessed and unified. In our Pledge of Allegiance, as we just heard the white kids say, one nation under God, indivisible. That is in our pledge, our pledge to be unified, our pledge of unity to our blood family, our pledge of unity to our fraternal family, our spiritual family, our national family. That all encompasses in our, in our pledge. We pledge allegiance to the Christian flag as well. That is what our pledge is signifying, that we will be unified. And just as it is the blood of Christ that enables us to live at unity with our spiritual family, to live at unity with Christ for all eternity, it was his shed blood that enabled us to do that. It is a very high cost of blood that has been paid for our union in this country as well. And this price enables us to honor the flag, to honor the traditions of our country, even as some spit on the flag and walk on the graves of those who gave themselves for our freedom and our liberty. We often hear it said or written that some gave all, but all gave some, referencing those that served in the military. And that is true. Some gave all, but all gave some when they served in our military. And today is a day in which, or tomorrow is the day in which we should honor those who have died for our country. You know, there should be nothing more unifying to us than gathering and honoring those who have died, and who have died for our country especially. You know, when we gather around the Lord's table, and remember the Lord's sacrifice for us, the Lord's death, His burial, His resurrection, the pain and punishment that He went through, you know, that's a unifying time for us, right? And we know that the Apostle Paul addressed the Corinthians because of their disunity at that time, and that they were not honoring the Lord's body by having that spirit of discord among the brethren. So just as we remember the blood of Christ, the sacrifice that Christ made for us, it unifies us as a church. It is also a sad and dishonorable time and thing for us as Americans to not remember those who have died for us. It's, not, it's, not, it's dishonorable for us to do that on every day. You know, we should remember, we should honor them. But especially on that day that we have set aside, Memorial Day, it is important for us that we don't forget and that we don't bring dishonor to those people who have died for us, those men and women who have sacrificed their lives for us. You know, as we remember that Memorial Day tomorrow and that time that we should be unified in our respect for those who have sacrificed for us, we, we think about our nation and how disunified our nation is right now. So why is our union, why is our nation in such a state of disintegration and discord? You know, the reason is not Donald Trump. Donald Trump is not the reason why we don't live in unity, although that's what the media will say. Donald Trump is the reason for all, all the ills that affect our country. The reason we are disunified in our country is because we have forgotten God. And apart from His Spirit... There is no unity, and there is no peace. Remember, he is the spirit of unity and of peace. Without unity, without peace, is an obvious sign that we don't have the Holy Spirit leading us as we should. In Job 8.13, it says, So are the paths of all that forget God, and the hypocrite's hope shall perish. Psalm 9.17 says, The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. Psalm 50.22 says, Now consider this, ye that forget God, lest I tear you in pieces and there be none to deliver. You know, there are some serious warnings for a nation in the collective sense that forgets God as our nation has done so much. Not saying that we individually have forgotten God, 
but in some areas we have. But as a nation, we can see that our nation has forgotten God, forgotten the God that has given us the blessings. Because at the beginning of our nation, we knew that there was a God that we would all give account to. We knew that there was a supreme creator who was responsible for creating us, and therefore we were responsible to be obedient to him and to live right before him. And it caused those who came before us to live differently. Not that they always did what was right. Not that any of us always do what was right. You know, not that some of the, the ills that were spoken and that, the, that our forefathers committed were not, you know, wrong, but they were not true either. Such as, you know, if we think of slavery and segregation based on skin color, you know, looking at the outward rather than looking at the inward of a person, which is what we say in our declaration that all men are created equal. You know, we didn't live out that declaration that we had made for ourselves. But our founders knew the Bible. And they knew that they were really, you know, they were really the first fruits of those who were able to read the Bible in their own language. It wasn't until, you know, 1611 that we really had a Bible in the English language for all men to read and to understand. And you figure 200 years after that, you know, they're really the first fruits of those who are beginning to, to read and to understand for themselves and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to them through the, I mean, what would we be if we could not sit down and read the Word of God and, you know, we have all this teaching that we have available to us. And we have all the, the, the scripture, the doctrinal writings that we have, whereas people have studied the scripture and they can help us to understand. You know, our founders were in that state where they were coming to this knowledge and their understanding, and the Holy Spirit was leading and guiding them. But they knew, most of all, that there was a God who desired to have all men live, considering their place before God, who knew that every man had to give an account to God for himself according to the knowledge that he had been given by God and that he had been taught of God. They were operating under traditions and historical practices that they needed the Holy Spirit to bring the enlightenment to them from the Word of God. You know, what we are in the state right now in America where we have received this enlightenment and we are in the process of rejecting it. We have received this instruction of the Holy Spirit and we are in the process of rejecting it and turning away from it and rejecting all these things that we have learned from the past and turning away. And that is why we see this disunity in our nation. When we forget God and we look to ourselves as God, the seeds of discord are sown and destruction is soon to follow. You know, the, those men who crossed the Delaware on that cold Christmas Eve, leaving their trails of blood from their shoeless feet in the snow, those men were unified by the fact that they could have a country where we were ruled by liberty and not tyranny. When our soldiers bled and died in Europe and Asia, and in the Pacific, you know, in the last century, we were unified in our nation in the response to tyranny. We think of, you know, those men that you know, stormed the beach of Normandy, that came in the Ardennes forest and were surrounded. We think of all these things that these men did and that we are supposed to honor them for, and yet we can't do the one thing that we are required to do, and that's live in unity and support and, and remember God, to be led of the Holy Spirit. You know, we knew that our cause was just and it brought us together as a people. But as we have drifted away from God, so have we been divided as a people. You know, we think of the division that occurred during the Vietnam War and how our nation was divided over the fact that we couldn't even support our troops that were in battle. Maybe didn't, they didn't agree with the cause, but we still needed to support our troops. You know, fast forward today where every death becomes political. 
Every death becomes political. Soldiers die in the Middle East, and everyone has their own theories on when the war is being fought, and we either approve or condemn rather than respecting and honoring those who sacrifice for us. And that's not just deaths in the military. We think of, you know, we had another school shooting this week, and children die, you know, in school, and the party that approves of tyranny tries to impose more oppression. They try to use these dead children to move their agenda forward, you know, while doing nothing to protect these same children from death. You know, morally, physically, spiritually, they do nothing to protect them from that death just to move their agenda forward. And it may appear that the divide in our country is too great for us to be unified nationally once again. It may appear that we are, our divide is too great for us to receive God's blessing as a nation once again. Now, one thing is certain, though, the state of wickedness in our nation will not allow us to receive God's fullest blessing. Our, our, because we have forgotten God, we cannot receive his fullest blessing as a nation. We must have repentance and revival in our nation that we can experience the union and the unity that we should have. You know, it was past revivals in our country that brought, brought in unity at times, that preserved our, unity, or our union, that brought enlightenment, you know, that brought these knowledge that these things that were being done are evil and they need to be cut off. That was the revivals that occurred in America. And we need those revivals again. We need that revival again in our own life and in our church and in our nation once again. You know, I think of the Civil War. You know, that was a time when our nation was really divided. It probably is its darkest state. You know, we were separated as a nation. We were divided over a cause, whether it was our national or state pride or, you know, whether it was doing what was right, as a lot of people thought they were doing. But that war cost us three-quarters of a million American lives. And yet at the same time where we were divided over our nation, we were fighting a war, there was still unity of faith on both sides, with both sides believing that their cause was just. Both sides believed that they were doing what was right, even though one side had not received maybe the enlightenment they needed from the Holy Spirit to understand what they were doing was wrong, and another side went about it the wrong way, potentially. You know, but we still had that unity of faith. And our union was still there because we had that faith that after the war was over, we could be unified once again as a nation. You know, one of the greatest speeches ever given was given on that greatest battlefield of that war, and the, the battlefield where there were almost 50,000 casualties with 7,000 dead, and that was in Gettysburg. You know, I think I probably read this speech every Memorial Day when I have Sunday school, but I believe it, it does us good to hear it again. And here is a speech that we should always remember. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. We are met on a great battlefield of that war. We have come to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those who here gave their lives that that nation might live. It is altogether fitting and proper that we should do this. But in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hollow this ground. The brave men, living and dead, who struggled here have consecrated it far above our poor power to add or detract. The world will little note nor long remember what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here. It is for us, the living, rather to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they who fought here 
have thus far so nobly advanced. It is rather for us to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us, that from these honored dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion, that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, and that government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. You know, as I mentioned, it, it may appear to our human eye that it may be hopeless for our nation. But at the time that Abraham Lincoln gave this speech, it was hopeless for, their nation, for the nation as well. That was a hopeless time for them and the nation. But I believe they could still see the end coming. They could see the end was coming of that discord and strife and war. You know, we are being obviously pressured right now that the only way to have unity in our nation is to accept these sins that we know are abhorrent to God, to, to, do, to compromise in these areas in order to bring unity, or to just buy into you know, the state-run social utopia of the progressive left in order to bring unity. But compromise in those areas only brings and is only bringing destruction. No unity in our country will only come when we as individuals, family, church members, and as a nation allow the Holy Spirit to fill us. We remember God once again as a nation. We live in obedience to the Word of God, just as that picture we saw initially in Psalm 133, how it starts at the head and moves down through the body, that anointing, that filling of the Holy Spirit. You know, once we've been born again, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to let our light shine to others so that they can see the filling of the Holy Spirit in our lives and they can want that filling in their own as well. So are we doing what it takes in our own lives to dwell in unity? Or are we part of the discord? You know, just as Abraham Lincoln had that vision for unity in one of the darkest times on the most bloodstained field in American history, when we remember our Lord, remember his sacrifice, we remember God once again as a nation, as well as those around us who need us. You know, they, they, our brethren, our national brethren, they need us to share the gospel with them. They need us as those who know the truth, to live out the truth in our lives and to be unified. You know, they don't need to see churches being broken apart. They don't need to see families being broken apart in our churches. They need to see us unified as a church, and then we will once again be able to be that light for our nation. Remembering our Lord's sacrifice as well as our need. You know, as Abraham Lincoln said, this is a great task remaining for us, and that we should take increased devotion that is what he said to those people around him, that we need to take increased devotion. And I'm saying that to us right now, we need to have increased devotion. We don't need to give up. We need to have increased devotion that will motivate us to try to share the gospel so that we can live out the Holy Spirit filling in our lives and we can have unity in our families, in our church, in our nation, until the coming of Christ. Let's pray. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org, where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, where you can see what's happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.